Oh man, I'm so glad that each of you are here this morning, and uh, hopefully if you're, if you've got a, I'm not going to call you out, but uh, if you're new here this morning, we want to welcome you, and uh, yeah, you all can clap. If you're, if you're here, we're just going to clap for you being here, all right? Yeah. We're sure glad that you've joined us here this morning, and um, as always, we are excited to come uh, together as a body of Christ, a body of believers, and open the Word of God up together. So we're going to do that this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn them to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I always encourage people to sit on the front row, because back there you can't see what I'm doing, right? Um, But anyway, we're going to use this as a little illustration. Probably won't be very much if you guys can't see it, but you'll probably hopefully get the illustration anyway nonetheless. Um, be, continue to be in prayer, and, and uh, we're going to be pouring our peers this week, I believe, on the, on the new Covered Arena. So, yeah, we'll have some hopefully some metal and some concrete in the ground here by the time you get here, maybe next Sunday. So be continuing to pray about that as well. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to get into the Word of God this morning. Father God, I want to thank you so much for this amazing, incredible salvation that you have provided for us, God. This is your plan it was your plan from eternity past, uh, and Lord, we are, as uh, Christians this morning, those that are followers of Christ, that we are in Christ, we have this incredible gift of salvation that is entirely undeserved, that is entirely unearned, and uh, is nothing more than a gift of your grace, your love, and your mercy, God, that you have done this for us and for all who will with a sincere heart and a, and a contrite or broken spirit, approach you, God, for salvation, you will not turn them away. And Lord, so this morning as we gather as a, as a group of believers, Father, here as they are all over, uh, Lord, our, our country today and around the world, Father, I, I just ask that, God, you would be lifted up and glorified and that your kingdom, Lord, would be expanded today as you do what only you can do, and that is uh, bringing the salvation of someone who is lost into a knowledge of who you are and placing them in the body of Christ. And I pray that you'll do that even here this morning for those that uh, have come this morning or those listening by radio or those watching in their homes this morning. God, I pray that you would do that for everyone who is seeking you, God, today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I told you last week that we would be back in our ride through Romans, and we're in Romans chapter 8 this morning. Um, We have a lengthy section to read here this morning. Um, I'm only going to read one verse, though. Well, actually two, okay? So if you have your Bibles open, please turn turn it to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, and let's read along here together. Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. I believe this morning as we make our way here to Romans chapter 8, and I'm not the only one who has this opinion, and probably some of you do as well, that as we come to Romans chapter 8, uh, it is, I believe, probably one of the greatest and most exciting passages of Scripture in all of the New Testament. Um, and uh, what we're going to learn about today is the Apostle Paul has been teaching us through this amazing letter to the Church of Rome, written by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
He's going to be teaching us about the uh, sure-footed assurance and confidence of what it means for all of us who are in Christ Jesus. And really the title of my message this morning is Our Sure-Footed Confidence in Christ. And what I have here in my hand that you probably can barely see um, is a couple of shoes, horseshoes by the way. And um, this week as I was preparing for this message, uh, just thinking through this, uh, yesterday, for example, I was riding a young colt, and I took him out in a big old open field that had been just freshly cultivated. For all of you farmers out there, aren't you thankful for the rain? They've been busting up ground right and left all over around here. Um, but anyway, for a young horse, it takes them some time to learn how to carry the extra weight. Uh, they're not, I'm not saying that I'm heavy, uh, but nonetheless, they have to learn to balance themselves. And especially in a plowed field, it can be difficult for them sometimes as they're learning. There's clods and it's deep. And to carry that extra weight, there's a little bit of a period of time of learning. And some of you know this to be a fact. There are some horses out there that are clumsy. Any of you in here clumsy? We had several out there at Church in the Dirt this morning who were clumsy, right? You know, the truth is there's some horses that you really don't have any confidence in, especially if you have ridden there very much and you pass a shadow of a post and they trip. You know what I mean? You just don't have a lot of confidence in them. And some animals are just more clumsy than others. But one thing you must have is you must have confidence in the footing that a horse has. Some of them just have better, better footing. They're just better. Anything can happen. But when you need to get somewhere fast, maybe you need to cut one off that's gone away from the herd, whatever it might be, you need to have confidence when you're flying across the pasture that your horse is sure-footed. And what we are going to look at today is how confident we can be um, in this race of life that we are in, in this Christian faith that we have been blessed to be a part of. And when, when I uh, last year was riding into uh, Washington, D.C., and we'd been gone for 40 days, and most of our journey of about 900 miles, believe it or not, was spent riding on either asphalt or concrete. And that is a very slick surface. Uh, not necessarily for your car, but for a horse, it's very, very slick. And so you can't see this, but this is a regular shoe, and it has nothing on the bottom. It's just a smooth surface. And if you were to ride these shoes on a horse trotting or, 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 or just going at a fairly fast pace on concrete or asphalt, then you have to either stop quick or, or move out quick. What you're going to find is, is you're, you're really going to have the potential of, of falling the horse will come out from underneath you. Uh, you could injure the horse. Um, um, I know a friend of mine uh, chased a cow. It was, they got out on the highway, and he was trying to get around one of them on his good horse, and he, not even thinking, just going after the horse. And when he came across the asphalt, he had to stop quick. And when he did, the horse just feet went out from, you know, it, it ruined the horse is what it ended up doing because there was, there was no footing. And so when we were making our way into Washington, D.C., across the Lincoln Memorial Bridge at a high rate of speed... Um, yeah, it was a, quite an experience nonetheless. Um, I don't know if I'll ever forget that experience, especially with all those people with M16s. Uh, but, but anyway, uh, <laughs> when, when we made our way across the bridge, we were flying across there, and, and what we had on our shoes were, was something called Borium. And the, this is actually one of the shoes that was on my horse when I came across the Lincoln Memorial Bridge. And I, I don't know how many hundred miles are on this, pair, this set of shoes, but if you look at the Borium, which just is a very, very, very hard metal, um, they, they place it on the bottom of the shoe, and it gives the horse traction and keeps them from slipping. 
Um, and so uh, you, I needed to know that my horse would have some sure footing as we flew across that bridge um, just because I needed that confidence. Um, I don't like to land on asphalt any more than you all do. Um, and sure enough, this borium gives those horses the traction that they need on asphalt. And the Apostle Paul, nonetheless, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, desires for every single one of us who are in Christ to have confidence in our salvation of being in Christ. Now, I know a lot of Christians out there, and I was one of those for many years of my life, who really had no confidence in my salvation. And the reason was, is because I thought it depended upon my ability to do it good enough. And to be honest with you, like we've just learned about in chapter 7, that nobody could keep the law of God. It was impossible. We're all guilty before God. There was no borium, if you will, in their confidence uh, of, of keeping the law because no one could. And the truth is, for all of us who are here this morning and you say, man, I'm just trying to do it good enough, man, that, that God would just accept me. Listen, you can't do it good enough. And so you can just quit that whole business. Because Jesus did it already, and he did it completely and totally. And I know a lot of believers that whether you believe it or not, or you even know it or not, you're, you're, you are secure, you're sure-footed in the confidence of being in Christ. And Paul is going to really lay this out for us in chapter 8. And you are going to be greatly encouraged, I believe, as we go through Romans chapter 8. Notice that Paul says in Romans 8, he says, therefore, now. That's a big word. Now is not speaking of what used to be. Now is present time. Paul says, now I'm going to show you something new here. Now, therefore, we're a continuation of what Paul was talking about and has been talking about since Romans chapter 1, but primarily the section in Romans chapter 6 and 7. He's now going to talk about something new here that we all need to know and we all need to understand. Very important that we get this. He says, now there is no, guess what no means? None, zero, nada. No condemnation. That's an awesome thing. The word condemnation is about punishment, resulting from judgment. And so Paul says the word now, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no punishment. There's no waiting punishment uh, coming for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. It's like having a speeding ticket, which I have one, and I'm waiting to go to court over the deal. Um, it doesn't pay to speed, guys. Uh, it really doesn't. But the truth is, I'm waiting, and I'm going to go, because if you hear that I'm doing, uh, what is that called, uh, community service. I'm going to try to do community service this time. I got a letter. They said, if you get one more ticket, you're going to start paying. So I'm going to see if I can do community service. So if you hear about it, <laughs> that's what it was about. But anyway, I, I'm going to stand before the judge. You all are thinking I'm out of here, this guy. I, I'm going to stand before the judge, and it's coming up next month, and I know I'm going to stand there, and what am I going to plead? Guilty. Why? Because I was speeding, okay? I get this. Now, the judge is going to pass down punishment. It's going to be a fine. It's going to be whatever it will be, but I'm going to try to see if the judge would say, hey, have mercy on me and let me do some community service. Um, He's he probably going to have a great time with that, but nonetheless, that's condemnation. I'm going to stand before the judge condemned. There are many Christians today that are living a life condemned. 
You're here this morning. You're listening on radio this morning. You're watching this morning. Many Christians are, gonna, are living their life today. The now they've never grabbed a hold of, they're still living in what they're used to be. And they're living in a state of condemnation, in a state of guilt. They have never, ever moved on from what they were to who they are now in Christ. And see, Satan, we know, is, he is the one uh, that deceives. He's also the one that, that tries to, uh, to, to, to claim that we're guilty and so on and so forth. Listen, we know we're guilty. There's no problem. But the judge, the righteous judge, sent his son in the form of Christ who took my punishment and he paid for it in entirety and in full. He even took upon himself the wrath that was due me. He did it all. And what he did when he said it is finished and the curtain was torn in half, it is, it is finished. No longer is anyone going to be guilty before God if they are in me because I paid for it and in its entirety. I, 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 I took upon all of it and it's all been paid for. It's finished. So even though that I'm guilty, if the judge was to say, well, listen, hey, we're going to do, we're going to make, make it light on you. We're just going to let you go this time. Listen, no matter what I do, somebody could say, well, you have a ticket. No, that's been paid for. And a lot of Christians today have no confidence in the gospel of Christ because they're still living in a state of condemnation. If you're here this morning, that's a lie of the enemy. He's the accuser of the brethren. And so Paul's making it very, very clear that there is now, now, after what he just said, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're here this morning, some of you need to hear this because you're still living in what you used to be. Praise God, you're not what you used to be and you're yet to be what you will be, but you are what you are in Christ Jesus. And one of those things is that you are no longer under any condemnation by God. That's incredible to know this, this morning. Now, Paul had said in Romans chapter 5, as you remember in verse 12, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Isn't that great to be at peace with God? Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into the grace which we now stand. Now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Maybe some of you are here this morning and you have placed your confidence in religion. That's like having a set of shoes with no borium. It doesn't stand. Religion is just man-made things, rules, regulations. Religion, there's no confidence in religion. There's no confidence in ourselves. How many of you know that's true? If it was based up to me on me, <laughs> I assure you I'd fail. Number three, there's no confidence in man. Please do not put your trust and confidence for your salvation in a man. Don't do it. Number four, the church. Some people have used the church as a way of giving them somewhat confidence. Although the church is the body of Christ, we realize that. It's, it's an organism, not an organization. The body of Christ is the people of God, and the Holy Spirit places us in that. But there are those that have placed some confidence in the fact that they were in the church somehow, and there's no confidence there as well. And works. Man, some of you have done what I've tried to do for years is work, 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 thinking God would somehow say, well done, at the end of my life. You know, kind of like we do for our daddies. We do what we do in order that dad might say, I'm proud of you. And for some of you men, you've never heard that and you never will. 
The problem is Jesus in Christ, God has already said, well done. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It's what we are or my daughter. But our confidence has to be solely now, listen, completely in Christ and in Christ alone. Ephesians chapter 6, we love the book of Ephesians, one of my favorites also. And as he comes to the ending in Romans chapter 6, we find that he's given us the, the picture of the armor of God, about how Christians can live their life and have armor. And at the latter part there, he's sharing the armor. There comes a section that I love because it really has some cultural things, especially in the King James Version that goes along with our Western culture. And he talks about our feet now as he makes his way down from the head, the helmet, making his way all through. The armor of God. This is part of what helps us stand firm, he says. Having the sure-footedness. He says, and having your feet shod. I love that word. With the preparation of the gospel of peace. Paul says, if you want to be able to stand and you want to have, be able to have the armor of God to stand in the day of evil, one of the things you're going to have to have, he says, as he's looking at a Roman soldier, as he sees a horse that he's riding and they're shod, and he says, you're going to have to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. And you say, well, what does that word preparation mean? Do I need to be prepared? Well, yes, we're prepared, but what it really means is firm footing. You've got to have your firm footing on the gospel, that we stand upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. We stand there, and it is firm, and it is secure, and I have confidence when I stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if you're not confident in that, listen, when the day of evil comes, and the Bible says, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, and when it comes, and by the way, it will come when the enemy comes, and it comes your way, and the arrows that are flaming that he shoots at you, when they begin to be fired at you, if you don't have your feet shod, and you're not firmly standing and firm footing on the gospel, the enemy can have his way with you. Are you secure in your salvation this morning? Many of you may not be, but nonetheless, you still are. So, the firm footing, the word preparation also means the state of the soul that is assured of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God, awaiting the return of Christ and the transformation of all things which will accompany the event of Christ's second coming. Paul said in Romans chapter 6, as we learned that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He goes on and says in 6.14, we have died to sin so that we were no longer under law, but we are now under grace. Now, Romans 7, as we just finished it about three weeks ago, a lot of people struggle with Romans chapter 7. We don't need to struggle with Romans chapter 7 as we've already learned. In Romans chapter 7, verse 5, we talked about this. Paul makes a statement in verse 5, and this is the statement that he makes. Now, Paul's going to expound this statement in chapter 7. We're getting there. To, hang on. And this is what he says in verse 5. For when we were, past tense, were. A lot of Christians have never moved from the were. The were. You're still under condemnation. You're still under the past. You're still living in the past. You're still living under the shame of the past, the guilt of the past, the past, the past, the past. The thing about the past is if you never are severed from the past, you'll never live in today, and you certainly will never move to the future. 
And many Christians don't have any victory in their life because they still live under the umbrella, if you will, of the law. And they're still living in the past, still under condemnation, still living with guilt, still living with all of that garbage. And you have been severed from that. I'm going to prove that to you here as we move forward, as the Apostle Paul will. He says, for when you were, past tense, controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passion aroused by the law, were at work in the bodies, and so we bore fruit to death. Paul speaks now about were. That's so important that you understand that. In the rest of chapter 7 now, the apostle Paul um, is speaking of an unregenerate Jew living under the law of God without the Holy Spirit. That is what he's describing now. He loves the law of God. He tries to do what's right. But at the end of the day, what's Paul say? He ends it with this cry. And some of you have been there. Every one of us who have ever come to faith in Christ have, have, have said these words. Who will rescue me from this body of death? O wretched man that I am. Paul's not speaking about a believer here. He's speaking about someone unregenerate trying to work its way to God in a religious system but can never ultimately keep the law of God. Couldn't do it. And Paul says, at the end of the day, what a wretched man I am. And he asks the most important question, who will rescue me from this body of death? That's the important question that he asks is the who and then he responds, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now Paul is going to move on to the therefore. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now, so chapter 7 we know is from 7-5. Now let's look at 7-6. And now we're going to find Paul now explaining now 7-6 in chapter 8. Listen to this. But now, he says, by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so that we serve in a new way of the spirit, not of the old way of the written code. Notice the words, but now, present tense, the new creation in Christ Jesus, not the man who bore, who bore fruit to death, but now the new creation in Christ Jesus, now who bears fruit to God. This is incredible. He says, but now, he says. What an awesome word now is. It's the present time. It is what they are, who they are. It's something new. It's something different, Paul says. And what are the things that we died to? He says, we have died. What, what are the things that we've died to? Two things we know. He says in Romans 6, 2, he says, you have died to sin. Amen for that. In other words, the power of sin in my life, the, the, the position of what I was, has no rendering of who I am now because that was all severed from me because I died in Christ. I'm in Christ Jesus. So I have been set free from the power of sin in my life. It no longer has power over me. Now, this is an area where the church is really, I think, missing uh, the strike zone, if you will. We look at the world and if we're not careful, we look at the world and we're disgusted. Anybody ever do that? I think we rightfully dis are disgusted at some of the things we see in the world. But let me ask you this. People that are outside of Christ, who are in bondage and slavery to sin, how else do you expect them to live? 
That's how they live. That's who they are. That's what we were, Paul says. And the truth is, what it's a result of is just sin. And we see in our own culture, in our own society, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse, and it's not done yet. But we now are, we're new in Christ. He says the second thing in Romans 7, 4, you can write this down. The second thing is we died to the law. Isn't that great? We're not, we're not under law, but we're under grace. What an amazing thing that is. And Colossians 3, 3 says, For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. We don't live in sin any longer. We've been baptized into Christ's death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may now live a new life. Verse 6, since we died to what once bound us, we have been set free. We've been released from the law. This is so important that you understand this. Release means bring to naught, to sever, and to abolish. To abolish it, to sever it. So, Paul makes it very clear that we have died to sin. We've died to the law. That word means we've been released, means it's been severed from us. Now, somebody's going to argue, right? You're going to say, whoa, 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 hold on, John. I still sin. I still, I, still, I still miss the mark, man. I still sin. I have sin in my life, but you know what? I hate that sin in my life. The truth is, a lot of Christians, and I hear this oftentimes, just simply talk about the fact that they're just an old sinner and how unbiblical that really is. That's not who you are in Christ, by the way. Did you know that? You are not just an old thug sinner. Listen, for those of you that grew up in a home that was an abusive home, and you had a father that instead of speaking life into you, told you over and over again how stupid you were, how incoherent you are, how, how unable you are, and over time, if you're not careful, the things we speak like that into someone's life, it becomes a reality. Have you ever known that to be true? I meet people all the time, I counsel people, and they're still living with that, that, that I, I'm just stupid. No, you're not stupid. Someone told you that your whole life. And I think this about the Christian community. So many people are just talking about how they're just nothing but an old sinner. No, you're not. You were an old sinner. But now in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation in Christ. Something has changed in your life. It has changed, and that's the truth. You say, well, what do I do about my sin? Listen, as long as you live in this body, you're going to struggle with things of this world. And you're not always going to listen to the Spirit of God in your life. Sometimes you're going to do the things of the flesh. You will do those things, but it always leads to death. It always does. It doesn't bring life. But my place or my position in Christ doesn't change no matter what. If I'm truly in Christ, I, I am not under sin. I'm under the grace of God. This is how amazing this is. Paul mentioned this just a few chapters earlier. He says, where there is no sin, where there is no law, sin is not counted against them. See, the thing is, the law of God is holy, righteous, and good, and it lasts for eternity. And the only way Paul said that I knew that I was a sinner is because God set a standard, and he says, these are some standards for you, mankind, and, and you're to live to these standards. And what did they do? They proved that every one of us could not live up to those standards. We've, it showed me that I needed God because I couldn't do this. I failed in every way, shape, and form. I failed miserably. And you get just into the third and fourth verse here as we move into chapter 8. He says, therefore, God did what no man can do, that he sent his own son, born of a man, uh, born under the law, to condemn sin in man. That's what Christ came to do. 
He fulfilled absolutely everything under the law of God, written about him in the Old Testament through the prophets. He did it all perfectly so that we could be in Christ and we would no longer be under condemnation. We're under the grace of God. See, the thing is, sin is not counted against me. In other words, although I still sin, and when I do the Holy Spirit, he tell, ooh, that hurts when that happens. I'm sorry, God, that I did that. Please forgive me. That didn't mean I stopped being a son or a daughter. That just simply meant that I knew that hurt the Father, and I said, God, I'm sorry I did that, Lord. Forgive me for that. What does he do? He forgives you. It didn't change my position, because I have a sure-footed stance on the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that if I died at night, literally, without confessing known sin in my life, that I would spend eternity in hell. I believe that because of what I was taught. You better write them down and take a list and check it twice, boy, because if you miss it, and tonight you go to be and stand before God, if you didn't have them all dotted and and crossed, I'm telling you, you're going to spend eternity banished from God. What kind of confidence did I have? Zero in the gospel. In other words, if God is so powerless and he created this entire universe, but he lives in me and he has no more power over me than to help me change and to live this life, then that is not the God that created the world. The God that created the world indwells us. Think about how incredible this is. And any Christian that I meet that says, oh, I, back when so-and-so, and I, yeah, I, you know, and, and I've never changed my life. Listen to me. If you've never had any change in your life, you didn't encounter the creator of the universe. You didn't do it. I don't know what you encountered. You might have encountered a bad burrito, or you might have encountered religion, or you might have encountered something else. But you did not encounter the spirit of almighty God coming inside of you and indwelling you that now gives you the power to live above sin, away, cut off, abolished from judgment, condemnation, and sin. I'm now under the grace of God, and I am now in Christ Jesus. That's who I am. You're not going to change it all at one time, but you're going to change. It's impossible. There's one person that liked that. That's good. (laughs) Oh, man, I've lost my place. Here we go. So we've been released. We've been released from it, severed from it. It's amazing. Jesus says in 517 through 18, somebody might bring this up. They will probably on the Internet. Do not think that I've come to abolish. John, Paul just said abolish. That word means to be released is abolished. But Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. You're right. And in so fulfilling them, he severed us from them. Do you see what I'm saying? I am severed from it. I am, I am, I am in standing with God in Christ. It's all about being in Christ. And that's the beauty of it. Jesus came and he fulfilled all the requirements of the law. And the prophets did it all. What an amazing thing. Um, Christ perfectly kept the law that no man could keep. Listen to this. He took upon himself our sins. In his death, he paid the penalty of our sins, which was death. And he appeased the judgment of God and our wrath that was due us for our sin and rebellion that was against God in order that we would, in return, be in Christ 
and receive his imputed righteousness, his redemption, his justification, his regeneration, and one day glorification. That is the glory of the gospel. He goes on and talks about in verse 6 that now we can serve in the new way of the Spirit. The first time the Holy Spirit's mentioned here now is in the sixth verse of chapter 7. But in the rest of chapter 7, he's not talking about the Holy Spirit. Why? He's talking about a man still living under sin, still living in sin, still living under the law, unregenerated, without the Holy Spirit of God. That's what he's talking about in chapter 7. But now, Paul says, in the new way of the Holy Spirit... That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, you will not even enter the kingdom. You won't see the kingdom unless you're born again, born of water and born of spirit. Unless there's a spiritual birth, it ain't happening. It's not of man. It's of God and God only. And then in Romans uh, 8, 9, it says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you, he says. And remember, those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to God at all. Here we are, back at the place where we started. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. That is the glory of of this incredible gospel. That the power and authority, that word law, there's two of them, and I'm going to finish with this. He says, you were under the power of the law of sin and death. In other words, that word law literally means authority, control, or power. At one time in our life, as Paul has already said, we were under the control of the sinful nature, of being in Adam. That's what we were. But now, in Christ the power, the authority, the dominion, if you will, of the Spirit that lives in us now, who has authority over me, has set me free, severed me, cut me free from the law and from the punishment of sin and from the position of sin, and he has placed me in Christ. And I will forever, 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 forever be in Christ. Christ. What an amazing thing it is for us to be in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31, and we'll get there in a few weeks. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will we not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? Shall hardship? Shall persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? No. In all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For Paul says, I am convinced. Put borium on my shoes, he says. 
I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels, demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Now, I hope for some of you this morning that you've had some borium welded to your shoes. And that maybe for the first time in your life, as you study this section of Scripture, as we move through here, you're going to have what we desperately need to have. We need to have our feet shod with the firm-footedness of the gospel of peace. We need to have that. You need to know that you know that you know that you know that you are in Christ Jesus one of them, I'm going to read this to you. My grandfather died in 1982. He was 79 years old. I didn't really ever know him. He wrote this. I'm just going to read part of it to you. I do not know what year he, he wrote this in. I have no idea. Let me read this to you. He titled it, Can We Know? One of the most wonderful gifts to man is that God has made it possible and given unto man the assurance of salvation. There was never a time when we need so much to know that we are saved than in this day of unrest and turmoil. The devil is trying to shake the very heart of man, destroy the workings of God and our faith in him. Oh, how wonderful to know the promises of God are for us in this day and that the word of God is as powerful today as it ever was. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, can we know can we be sure of this life hereafter, of the life hereafter, or must we walk in doubt and despair through life, hoping and guessing, or I think so? Is heaven to be won by gambling chance? Is life to be lived by dread? And when all is ended, must we go into eternity to awake to either heaven or hell? Dear reader, you are living in dread and fear without knowing that there is a blessed peace and assurance that from our God that will still your doubting hearts. A sweet calm will come in and dwell in your wit and witness that you have passed from death to eternal life in Christ Jesus. Is gaining heaven a hit or miss affair? No, dear reader, praise God, we can know, we can be sure. There has never been a sinner with an earnest heart, a broken and contrite spirit, who has thrown himself at the foot of the cross and called out for mercy and pardon, whom God has not met or failed to witness to him that he is forgiven and is a new creature in Christ Jesus. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new crea creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God will give the seeking heart a no-so salvation. God says in 1 John 5, 9 through 10, For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son, he that believeth on the Son of God has the witness in himself. Could anything be plainer than that? Again, we read in John 3, 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Do you love God's people? The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Can we know? Can you know? Can you be sure? Praise God, his word is full of proof that he witnesses to mankind. Christianity is not a puzzle to be solved or an idea to be harbored or a condition to be endured, but a life to be lived in joy and fellowship with the Lord by the indwelling Christ. 1 John 4, 13 says, Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. 
If you are truly converted, God's witness will fill your heart with the most wonderful peace, and all fear will vanish. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. With the joy and peace in our heart, we can say with the Apostle Paul, as he nears the end of his race, of his life, in 2 Timothy 4.8, henceforth there is laid up for us a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to us on that day. And not only me, but to unto all those who love and wait for his appearing. Paul knew we can know. God wants us to know. God wants us to live the no-so Christian life. God will give his children a bit of heaven's joy in their soul while journeying through life. Then the death cools our brow. We can say with joy and peace, I know in whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to that which I have committed unto him against that day. You can know. And I pray this morning that you have the sure-footed confidence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you say, John, I'm that individual that doesn't have that confidence. You can know that this morning because God's word and his promises are true. Would you all stand with me real quick, please? We're going to have a word of prayer. I think the band's going to make their way up here quickly. Thank you all for your, for your patience this morning. I will say this, as the lay pastors and elders make the way into the lodge, they're going in there so they can be available for anyone who needs to pray this morning. Eternity is far too important to gamble on. Amen? It's not like a slot machine where you put the quarter in or whatever and you jerk the handle down and if you get three sevens, you go. There's a lot of people gambling on eternity. There's no need to gamble. If God is speaking to you this morning and you say, John, I don't have the no-so salvation. John, I, I've trusted in religion and man and in all kinds of things, but I've never really truly trusted in Christ Jesus. And you don't know if you're in Christ this morning, then by all means do not leave here the same way you came. The whole reason we're here this morning is so someone might hear the gospel of Christ and someone might come to faith. We talked last week about the one more. God is all about the one more. We had some one mores last week. Maybe you're here this morning and you're the, you're the one more. You're the one. What we're going to do is we're going to sing a song. And as we sing, I think we got words, correct? Y'all got words? This morning, you don't have to hum. <laughs> this is something God's convicted me of. We only have so much time to praise God on earth. It's not going to be hard for you to praise God when you're in his presence. <laughs> but we only have so much time here on earth to really praise God in spirit and in truth. And I think, you know, what about the body of Christ? How incredible would it be if this morning, I don't even know what song they have, but it's going to be a song to God, if we just belted it out from the very barrels of our soul, the goodness and the greatness of our God. If you're in Christ this morning, oh man, the welling up inside you of the joy of your salvation, this secure steadfastness, the sure-footedness of the gospel, I want to encourage you this morning, maybe you have a voice like mine. I'm still going to sing with the mic off. Because truthfully, I don't want to sing to you this morning. Out of the goodness 
of God, the mercy of God, his greatness in my life. Listen, some of you sing loud in your feed truck. Don't play this game. (laughs) I want to just sing from my heart to God this morning. Maybe he didn't give you the gift like he gave these ladies up here to sing, and you're like, wow, I love that. See, God's not concerned about how it sounds. God's concerned about the heart which sings it. And there's nothing more joyful to God than a heart that sings with their own heart to God. That is what blesses God. So, this morning, they're going to sing. And I'm going to encourage you to belt it out. All right? All right. I'll pray in a minute.